Welcome to the Crystal Valley Casserole, a podcast where we introduce you to members of our ward. We are Chad and Kenny Smith. We are not professional podcasters, but we have some amazing people we want you to meet. So, without further ado, pull up a seat and join us as we get to know some of the ingredients that make up the Crystal Valley Casserole. Welcome to the Crystal Valley Casserole. We're so excited to have Guile and Susie Walker with us today. And just to have everybody get to know them a little bit better. And so we're gonna kind of jump right into it and ask them to tell us a little bit about them, where they came from, and uh, just a little bit about their background. Well, thank you. Um, Let's go way back in time, I guess, to give a little bit of background. Susie and I both come from uh, Pioneer Stock. Um, my great-grandfather, who my mother, by the way, never even knew because he died so long ago. In fact, my grandfather was 17 years old when he died, but his name was William F. Rigby. He was sent to Idaho uh, by Brigham Young to Homestead, southeastern Idaho. He was first counselor to... Um, um, yeah, but... Um, Thomas Ricks. Thomas Ricks, yeah, sorry, thank you. To Thomas Ricks in the Bannock Stake and was one of the co-founders of Ricks College, which is now BYU-Idaho. Uh, Rigby-Idaho is named after him. Um, was a polygamist, had six wives. I'm a descendant of the third wife. Um, as a side note, um, Susie and I, this, we can talk about this more later, but we've been to England several times. That's where I served my mission. And on one occasion, we went up to Northern England uh, to do a little bit of family history research and actually found the chapel where he was married to his first wife. And that was a very, very cool experience uh, to do that. And um, But anyway, speaking of England, uh, I'll just then let Susie elaborate more on some of her well, my thought. Yeah, my ancestry also comes from England. My grandmother, so my father's mother... Um, grew up in England. Her, um, she was born in the night in the 1990, and um, grew 18, up 1890. Sorry, 1890. So she was in England during the time when Joseph Fielding Smith was serving his mission. Her father ran the mission home, and at the time, Elder Smith was living in the home with them. And every time my grandmother would walk out of the house, the neighborhood boys would bully her, and throw rocks at her, and those you know call her that little Mormon girl. And Joseph Fielding Smith, as a missionary, used to take her and escort her to the school and then go proselyting, do what he would do, and then after school pick her up and bring her home. So we have a very good connection with, yeah. with um, President Smith. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, I have a great-great-great-grandmother that was there when the church was organized. She was in the home. She worked for the Whitmers. Wow. And so she was actually in the home. So we, we do. We have some pioneer stock. But bringing it current... We actually met in high school, and that's how we oh, nice. that's how we um, got to be. He was dating someone else. I was dating someone else. We had our connections, but then after his mission, we reconnected, and here we are, 43 years later. Well, we met in seminary, and so uh, we both have a great love for the seminary program of the church. <laughs> and um, I grew up in Centerville, Utah. Susie grew up in Bountiful, and... Um, um, the very south end of Bountiful, North yeah. Salt Lake, right on the border. And uh, she was um, uh, there when Woods Cross High School just first opened and went to the first two years there and, and was moved over to Viewmont High School, which is where, where, where I was at. That's great. We always love a good high school love story. Yep. <laughs> and out of the maybe five or six interviews we've done, you are the second couple that met in seminary. So if you yeah. are a youth listening to this, you should probably go to seminary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now that we're talking about like kind of high school years, mm -hmm. seminary, we like to hear some of the experiences that you had that were foundational to your testimony. I feel like it's in those teenage years for most people when they're really starting to decide, do you know, do I believe this? Do I want to follow this? And what were some experiences that each of you had that helped form your testimony? Thank you. Let me let me just share two quick ones and then Susie you can have some too. But I, I remember I even mentioned this in one of our classes at church recently, but I remember when I was about 12 years old, sitting in state conference. That's back in the day. We had state conference every three months, and you had a general authority pretty much every time. And I remember once sitting there, and Marvin J. Ashton had just been ordained an apostle. 
and came to was our visiting authority and um uh, and I, I'll never forget um, sitting there as a young man and seeing him walk up the aisle and the impression that I felt and the, and the witness that I felt that he was actually an apostle of the Lord. And so that was one of my earliest recollections. Um, then back to seminary again, I'll, another one I'll never forget is going to a seminary leadership conference on a Saturday. And I don't remember anything about it. Um, I was about 16 years old and just... The witness of the Spirit that I had during that leadership conference uh, is something I'll never forget. It just came over me and just stayed with me all day. And and so those are some of my early recollections. And so you know, obviously, you know, both of us were raised in the church, and um, well, sort so you of. have yeah, sort of. And we'll sort like of. Just elaborate <laughs> on that too. But I mean, in my case, I know that it, that it's something you still had to gain a testimony of, even though I was raised in the church. I was raised in a in a very. Um, my my parents were both raised by very religious parents, but neither of them were strong in the church at all. And so I grew home in a grew up in a very, well, not very, a fairly dysfunctional home. I mean, lots and lots of love, but it was fairly dysfunctional. So I will say honestly, my foundation came through my associations with other youth okay. that were the yeah. foundation. And I think that's such an important thing for our our kids today to know is that they can be the rock. For someone else, yeah. um, you know. During that time, I also went through persecution from members of the church. Um, I remember one time showing up for a volleyball practice, and um, the girls all ganging up on me, saying I shouldn't be there because I smelled like smoke, and my parents weren't members. So I, you know, and that sort of thing. And it was again friends who <clears throat> put their arms around me, loved me through that, and um, they were my foundation. Yeah, that's neat. Can I ask just a little bit? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very curious about this idea of like a very loving home but dysfunctional what um, maybe yeah there was there was um both of my parents um had left the church in their teens even though my i would already told you my grandmother came from england she came on the ship over to the states because of the church and um so my father was raised knowing very much everything about the church my mother was in a home where um, both of her parents were were active but her father was abusive mm -hmm. and so she left the church mm -hmm. and so then when my mom and dad were together in our home we had um, um, language there was smoking there was some drinking um, there were oftentimes I'd just go to my room and close the door open the windows to air out my clothes so that I didn't smell so much like smoke when I'd go out and about so maybe like religiously dysfunctional, but like still like mom, dad loved the kids. Oh yeah, and like yeah, we were, yeah, we were always loved. And I will tell you, yeah, oh, always. We had food on the table. We had, we were all loved. Um, I'm very close still with all of my siblings. I'm ten year the young, ten years the youngest. Okay, so my yeah. next closest sibling is ten years wow, older than okay, I am. Yeah, and that can be hard to keep a relationship. So it was, yeah. But but I was. It was great because I ended up being the babysitter. Uh -huh, Everybody's babysitter. Uh -huh, uh -huh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so you know, my sis, my um, especially my sisters would dubs me one year for the next New uh -huh. Year's Eve kind of thing. Uh -huh. So I was I was <laughs> always fun. in high demand. Okay. But, yeah. By the older. But kids. I mean, there's that's what I'm saying. There was lots of love. There was lots of a good. Yeah. But it was it was dysfunctional yeah. and it was it was not religious whatsoever. Well, one thing that I love about hearing about this, I, I, I think about this a lot um, for a variety of reasons. But I think this can be good for parents and it can also be good for any kids. So like any kid who feels like oh I'm not growing up in this like traditional mm -hmm. stereotypical <laughs> LDS family. Like there's no reason, zero reason to feel like you can't grow up and have your life look like whatever you want it to look like. And right? you know, like you can be an exactly. active member of the church, you can get married in the temple. There's no reason that that has exactly. to hold any kids. And back. if you look at the the quorum of the twelve, and even President Nelson right now, not there's very few of them that came yeah. from that's traditional, true, traditional families. Yeah. They you know right. they have those backgrounds, yeah. and um, it was just as I as a young young girl just felt that the church was something that I wanted to cling on to and yeah. I had a testimony very young and because of that reached out to those who could help build that for me even more and I think if I can point out too um, that when she was a teenager she was also a dental assistant for 
someone who was very, uh, very active in yep. state presidency and a bit of bishop, okay. and had a tremendous influence mm -hmm. on, on her and, and making sure that she stayed on that covenant path also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. Well, and I was thinking too, just as you were talking about that, I almost wonder if um, having some dysfunction at home or some things, like I almost wonder if it made it more clear to you kind of what you wanted to yeah, choose. I, I, you, know, you had to be very intentional exactly. about choosing to... That's the word I was just going to say is that intentional part. Um, because I look at our children. We have four incredible kids raised in the gospel that they knew they knew right from wrong and they, they had all of those opportunities um, and I think was that was that a disservice of some sort for them because the good thing was that they did have my family we'd go visit my mother who was the kindest woman on the planet um, and she she would leave her home and we'd have to come home and wash our clothes because we'd come home smelling like smoke um, we'd come home my kids all felt they were loved all of my kids all four of them will tell you how much they loved my mother but yet being in that environment help them to choose oh I don't want to ever smoke because I can see what that does yeah. oh I don't want to use that language because I can see how that makes you feel oh I don't you know that sort of thing so I always loved the fact that I could take my kids to see my parents as loving as they were my side of the family and let my kids see that good people exist outside of the church yeah. that there are good people everywhere and I think that's sometimes something that we walk around with blinders as members of the church that we forget to be friends with those who aren't like us. Yeah. I love that you said that. Yeah. yeah. Going back a little bit as well, so the other side of that, so kids can grow up and kind of, you know, make of themselves what they want to know no matter where their, you know, background or home life is like. But also, I'm like constantly tormented that I am ruining my child's, my children's lives, right? Like as a parent, like it's just very difficult to be confident <laughs> in what you're doing. You two look like you don't know what I'm talking about, so you must have been, <laughs> no. great, must have been great. No. But it gives me hope hearing you. Like the kids, it, they are gonna pave their own way. Like I can be a guide, I can provide some things for them, but this and is you know, their life. And and I know that there are are some who have felt the influence knowing that okay, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but why are my kids still walking a different path? Yeah. That can be one of the toughest yeah. things to come to terms with. It really can. But yet on the same hand, if we didn't have those guidelines, what would that child have been without those teachings that at least grounded them in the gospel? Yeah. I, I just think that that's, that's vital. So you, know, you talk about you think you're maybe ruining your kids' lives, but I promise that <laughs> they are who they are from before they came to this earth. Yeah. Um, and that's... You know that that's something that they'll carry with them. They'll yeah. they'll they'll listen to you. Yeah. Well, so let's do a little bit more. Like fast forward a little bit. You already alluded to you got home from your mission, Guile, and then what? Like you, you two already <laughs> knew each other. Was it just like natural? Well, I got on here. This is this is what's going to age us. Is that <laughs> when we were in high school? Is right when. Saturday's Warrior was very popular, oh, nice. and so we had this little thing between us that uh, I was her Todd Richards, and, and so <laughs> we used to we used to even in seminary turn around and sing the circle of our love to each other. But remember, remember, we were dating. We were, we were, there was there was nothing there. Read, so no, we were, in fact, apparently. he had a priest corps activity once How did where. How feel about that? Well, and I'll tell you that. But he had a he had a priest corps activity once where his priest corps advisors said to him. Bring a date, but it can't be your steady girlfriend. Mm -hmm. He calls me on the phone one night and he says, um, I got this thing at church and I can't take Joanna. Can you come with me? Uh -huh. <laughs> so anyway, while I was on my mission and then she was in nursing school up at uh, Rick's, uh, we wrote to each other regularly. And Just every, as friends. Every, every Just one of our letters had something to do with the circle. And so, well, I'd, sometimes, even as a missionary, I'd spend a lot of time trying to be creative to write something about this circle of our love, and we'd always add that into our letters. And then the latter part of my mission scared me to death because I didn't hear from her for a long time. I was time. taking nursing boards. And uh, <laughs> I, I thought I'd lost her, you know, as a friend and so on. And, and then just before I, before the end of my mission, I got this massive card in the mail, that's, and basically that's what she said. I'm so sorry. I was taking I was taking boards and just didn't have a, have a chance to. So, and then. 
when I when I got home, um, it just miraculously happened that things kind of fell apart between her and someone else that she was dating, and we started dating. I got home and I got home in August of '79, and we were engaged in December and married in, in April, and so we were married after I got home. And that seems like a very short time, but we had such a solid yeah. friendship that the romance part didn't take much to have yeah. to. Yeah. Work with there was a foundation. Yeah, yeah, there was. We were good friends. We were good, good friends. So that's great. Love it. That's super cool. Um, okay, so tell us just a little bit. Um, you got married, you know, within that year of Guile being back from your mission. Um, tell us as you started to form your family. What stages of your family life have been the most rewarding or the most challenging? <laughs> what stands out? Yeah, it's you funny about? you say that because I almost think every stage feels that way. <laughs> but I look back now with a lot of years behind me, and um, I remember when my kids, when I had little ones in diapers, and then I had to run this one to a music lesson and this one to a school activity and this one here and that one there, and everybody was run, 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 run. At least I was still the mom. I was still in charge. And so I knew what they were eating. I knew what time bedtime was. We had our routines, all of those things. And I look back on that, on that and I think that was so difficult. And if someone at that time, when I had four little ones at home, told me parenting adult children would be more difficult than that, I would have told them they were crazy. <laughs> but I really feel like sometimes the challenges of parenting adult children is difficult. It's great until they either go out to go out the door to, to college, basically, or leave on their mission. But then, when they return from those experiences, from being away from home to come back into your your home, they're different people, and that's exactly what you want them to be. That's what you pray for. That's what you work towards. That's what you teach them. But then it's the point where you have to sit back and go, "You're doing what?" <laughs> Let me know how that works out, <laughs> because you have to parent and, and can't say, no, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to do that, yeah. but now you have to step back and let it happen. Yeah, that, yeah. that lack of control, mm -hmm. I, you know, anytime I think about that or see people in that, I'm like, oh yeah, that would be challenging. Yeah, it creates a lot of tension, right, between wanting to guide them through every step and recognizing that they're becoming adults, which is what you wanted for them to mm -hmm. begin with, but... Mm -hmm. That's hard, mm -hmm. I'm sure. And like I said, we've raised four well, incredible right. children. They're all four incredible adults, but there's still challenges in that. So Not just challenges, but I'd use and even use the word worry. I worry more about my kids now than I ever did when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that stems from their spouses, their children, their careers, yeah. their locations, their choices in the gospel. So um, it just seems like there's a lot more worry now than we ever had when they were younger. Even more than when they were teenagers. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. You guys, you guys have yet to see all that. So, um, and I think if you asked other parents at our same age that they would say the same. I can think of others in the ward that would say the same thing. Yeah. And teen teenagers are challenging. Yeah. And I remember the the missed. Um, you know, they're supposed to be home at a certain time, and they missed curfew, or you know, the the choices that they would make, or the things that they would say. Those were all. Those were tough. But they were still under my roof. Mm -hmm. And so we still had, okay, yeah. in this house, these are our rules, and we treat each other kindly. And we, you know, you just have those things that are part of your home. Yeah. One of the secrets, and I'm, I'm going to take this from two different standpoints. I used to, I've had a lot of different positions in the church where I've been able to counsel with young people. And I would always say to them, if you want to have complete freedom in your life, you be completely honest and open with your parents. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you'll have more freedom than you'll ever experience. Mm -hmm. It's when you don't do that that you're going to lose that freedom. And um, and then on the flip side, I, I counsel parents also that if you have a complete, honest, open relationship with your child, your battle's won. It's won. No matter what they do. You still win the battle because they're being completely open and honest with you. There's no, there's no hidden agenda. But you know, it's, well, I guess it's unfortunate to learn that now. But with our daughters, I mean, you look at them crosswise, cross-eyed, and they start to bawl, and they, they just so blubber sorry. everything. With our sons, we never knew what was going on. <laughs> but as a parent, if you have that kind of a relationship, and that they know they can trust you with anything. 
then the battle's won. Oh, that's a great that's that's good great advice. advice. That's like a good that. little nugget to tuck away. I also like what you said, Susie, about just whatever stage you're in probably feels like the hardest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it is kind of hard for us. I mean, our oldest is only eight, so it's hard to conceptualize that it's going to get more difficult. But do you guys know who Jody Fulroth is? In yes, our board? yes. She, Love um, her. I was just reading this thing I wrote in my journal about her because um, I was sitting with my kids in church and it was a weekend that Chad was out of town. And we had, like, a disastrous day in church. Like, one of the kids knocked, <laughs> out, like, literally knocked all the sacrament bread out of the train. Mm-hmm. I just, like, that. such a nightmare. Yep. Um, You're not that happened. <laughs> that happened. I think I had taken one of them to the bathroom, and I left the older two, I think. Or I left two of them on the bench by themselves. And when I came back, Jody Fullerth was sitting next to them. So I felt a little sheepish, like, well, something happened while I was mm-hmm. gone. And she just leaned over and said, it's okay. They were just squabbling. And so I came and sat here and looked at them, and then they straightened up. <laughs> um, but after the meeting, she just said to me, I really miss this stage. She said it was really hard, but I knew that I had influence over mm-hmm. them right. and that they were going to come to me. And it just gave me the, this insight about... Um, we're supposed to become like little children and little children ask their parents for help. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes as a parent of little children, I'm like, what do you mean we're supposed to be like little children? Like they're kind of demanding. <laughs> they're not always very nice. Um, but it was a good insight from Sister Fulroth. Oh, we're supposed to ask for help, you know, and not as nice as a parent yeah. of children to... And as our kids get older, it can be hard because we worry more and we don't have. And I think that's why we look back with fondness because we lived through that stage Mm -hmm. and we made it, and and now we have fond memories. And and you know, I mean, I I remember holding my youngest child when he was just little in the rocking chair and just trying to memorize. Okay, exactly. How does this feel? How does this feel? You know, because you want you just don't want to ever forget that. Um, but I can look back and say, oh, that was easy because I lived through that one. But now this stage that I'm in, this is the hard one. And then you get through that one and you look back and you go, okay, hey, that wasn't so bad. Now, oh, but this stage. So I think every stage is hard. And so for us right now, the difficulty is this stage because um, that's the stage we're living in and we haven't mastered that one yet. Yeah. Well, speaking of the difficulties we I think we mentioned to you beforehand that we like talking about like I, I just love the concept of a wilderness experience right like the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness to get to the promised land like that is the purpose of life is you're supposed to have those kind of experiences and we all have them and I like listening to people talk about them to realize like okay I'm normal too <laughs> like everybody has these so would you guys like to be willing to share any personal wilderness experiences, trials that you've had? Sure, let me, um, we've thought about this uh, beforehand, but um, I'll preface this by saying, just like any parent, you always want to raise a perfect family. And a lot of times when the kids were younger, you just couldn't ask for anything better. Um, Our oldest daughter is probably the most angelic person that we've ever known. And um, and by the way, this is the part where I can get really emotional too, but um, as you can already tell, but... Um, I was serving as bishop of the Perry Park Ward um, um, around 2010, 2011-ish, and uh, three of our four children served missions, and um, our youngest son uh, had returned from his mission and um, had gone straight to BYU-Idaho, and then kind of cutting to the chase, um, we found out um, through some pretty strong sources that he was gay. and. Um, in uh, July of that summer, I went riding with him on ATVs. I just said, we need to talk. He said, I know. And so we went over to the bishop's office later that night, and he told us. And it was very hard. And um, our two oldest kids especially really struggled for a long time. Um, our, do- our other daughter that was just older than him just like we even had her come over to the office because she was just rock solid from day one. And a great supporter and always has been. Um, but fast forward from that, that so that just, that was tough. We had no idea. It was, it just blindsided us. And he since left the church and um, uh, actually lives locally. He's married, has an unbelievably wonderful husband. And um, we just love him to pieces and love 
and he knew from the very first moment that he was loved unconditionally. And we counsel with other parents that you have to accept this child, your child, and because they have to have a place of refuge. There was a time when our son was suicidal, and I sat him down, I said, Tyson, you can't do this to yourself. You have to leave the church because he was feeling so guilty and having such a hard time. And um, it was it was pretty tough. Now, but the wilderness experience I want to share with you, so I don't drag it drag on too long. Um, about I guess this was six or seven years ago. I was in Chicago on a business trip, and I was I was having dinner with some clients one night, and I got a text message from my brother, who has a, a daughter who's lesbian, by the way, and he sent me this message that President Monson had just announced that the children of same-sex marriages would not be allowed to be baptized. And I read that. I immediately thought, how could the Heavenly Father do this? How, how could he persecute our own grand, future grandchildren like that? And um, anyway, I went back to my hotel and I stayed up till late that night. And I prayed and I studied. And I actually read a lot by Elder Christofferson, whose brother at the time, um, or in the past was gay, or his brother who is gay, and, and he is very well experienced in that. And, and then I just had a very peaceful feeling um, come over me that it was the Lord's will. And, and I could see behind that, and I could see the reasoning behind it. It was to protect the child and to protect the parents. And so I, I pretty quickly accepted that policy, as hard as I was to see. And, I, um, and there was immediate backlash um, on social media and from other members of the church, and it was really a struggle. And, um, and then I got home from that business trip, and I'll turn it over to her because she went ballistic. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget having her come and pick me up at the airport and the, and the visit we had on our, on our way home and what that was like. And then as, even as upset as she was, our son was even more upset because he takes everything the church does and judges that. And it just to, to him, it was a major slap in the face for him too. But I have to back up just a little bit. The, the, the time when we found out about Tyson and, and that whole thing, you have to realize that at that time, I was Stake Relief Society president. He was the bishop. Um, we had put our whole heart and souls, everything, into service in the church. Mm -hmm. And there was just for that moment, it was like, wait a minute. I was promised if I did everything right that my children, if they were taught, would be able to be part of this church. And now what? And why did... Uh, so is it because I was... I mean, I went through all of the doubt, the self-doubt. Why us? Now, we never stopped loving Tyson. You've got to understand that. What we came to terms with is that the little boy that we pictured coming home from his mission, having a temple marriage, raising children, and he's an incredible pianist, by the way. And in my mind, I always had these pictures of him up on the piano and his little children singing. And that dream was no longer. It was still my son. It was still my little boy. It was still the same one who I changed his diapers, who I wiped off his little skin knees, and I took care of him when he, when he was sick. and know that from the very beginning he has the most amazing heart of anyone I've ever met and so it wasn't that I that there was any lack of love it was like Heavenly Father why why us and it was at that moment that I realized that Heavenly Father loves me well enough to have me raise this amazing young man and so when when that came out about those children of gay couples not being able to be baptized that took away even more hope because that was still part of my dream that I had always dreamt of my grandchildren and him playing in church and them being part of all of that. And it was another, it was just another grievance that I had to work through. It was all those grieving experiences of having to work through. But then when I realized that Heavenly Father loves me and trusts me enough to have me raise this amazing young man that I finally had that confidence to say, you're right, you're right. And, and you know, as Gail said, he's always been my rock. When, when um, 
all of this, there's always little policies, not policies, the gospel, the, the gospel is true and always is. Some of our traditions are what are changing. Mm-hmm. And through some of those traditions, it was um, um, difficult to see how people were holding on to, oh, I, we had, when Tyson was, was getting married, I actually had very amazing people who are members of the church come to me and ask me, are you going to go to his wedding? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's my little boy. Of course yeah. I'm going to his wedding. Mm-hmm. That's my child. And I need him to know that I love him and that he is always part of our family. He will never be removed from this family. And um, I think that with that wilderness experience has been ebb and flow mm-hmm. as different things change. Different apostles have said different statements but the one thing I always come back to is when um, Tyson, as Gael was serving as bishop, he had an opportunity to work with Elder Holland. And Elder Holland promised us, your son is not lost. And then our son had the opportunity to go into Elder Holland's office and visit with him. And Elder Holland never once asked him questions that were judging or unkind, but treated him just as the Savior would. And that, to me, that's where that rock has come, that, okay, all of these things that I hear and see that break my heart or I question or I wonder, I go back to those things. Your son is not lost. And to know that that Elder Holland, acting as the Savior, took our son in his arms and told him, you are loved. You are loved. I should point out, too, that um, if you recall... When President Nelson became the prophet, he rescinded that policy, and uh, but that, it didn't matter at that point. I mean, I I'd already had a, we'd already accepted that, and it didn't really shake our faith once we came came to terms with that. <clears throat> and so, I've always said that the church has different policies all the time that come and go. The doctrine always remains the same, and our son knows what the doc, knows the doctrine. He knows that we believe in the doctrine. The doctrine is that that. Marriage in God's eyes is a union between a man and a woman, and uh, and He knows that we believe that, but but also and to her point, there's a reason behind this. He's always mm-hmm. been that way, and we know that God loves him just as much as He loves he, any of our children. He's, any he's of always us. been who He is. Mm-hmm. He kept it from us until after His mission, mm-hmm. and you have to realize He kept it from the world because in high school he had a solid girlfriend, mm-hmm. and he was prom king, and he was I mean he was. You know, he was in the yearbook, voted most likely to succeed. I mean, all these great yeah. things. He's an incredible kid. Yeah, he was an extraordinary missionary. He he went from his greeny area to a zone leader uh, as a missionary. He's tremendous. Well, we didn't know until after his mission why. It's because he kept begging God to take it away from him. He said, I'll be the best missionary I can possibly be if you'll take this away. Yeah. But um, anyway, we can move on. But but um, the doctrines the doctrines are all true and correct, and we believe that. Well, there's a couple of things I'd like to follow up on a little bit, just some thoughts as you guys were talking about that. I don't know if I have like very well organized thoughts, but I feel like there's been several times. Elder Oaks comes to mind. He's talked. He's given a couple of talks. One was called Love and Law. So like the contrasts between love and law and the contrast between truth and tolerance, kind of the same idea about how we have doctrines, we have beliefs, but then and you put it into practice in a messy world, right? And that sometimes it not not everything looks like perfectly like we would like to think. And so I feel like that those are, you know, this is a good example of, of I think most wilderness experiences come because of those contrasts, right? Like mm-hmm. we know we're trying to get to the promised land, but we're like, dealing with the, the the journey and sometimes it's messy and I just feel like that is what life is like is the 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 striving to get to a better place in in a world where things aren't always you know necessarily like re- relationships can be messy in in mm-hmm. in summary and I'm not saying messy isn't bad but like they're hard right and like mm-hmm. we're not perfect people mm-hmm. and we do the best to love people along with our beliefs and I don't know if much of that is making sense, but I love the idea of love and law, and it sounds like you guys, that was a big struggle, right? Because we have certain beliefs 
and doctrines and the, you know, the, a policy of a church that you want to believe in that goes against something that is important to your family can be really hard. And so, well, we, um, yeah, that's correct. What, as we pointed out that, um, he's always known that he had unconditional love from us and that we would always, and his siblings and and his nieces and nephews, everybody loves him. And we, we love and support him, but he knows where to draw the line. He knows where we stand. Um, I've used this analogy before too, but you know, in the Book of Mormon, when uh, Lehi got to the tree, he didn't go after his family. He called out to them and beckoned them to come to him. He beckoned Lamb and Lamuel to come to him, but he never left the tree. And that's the important thing to know. He knows that we're not going to leave the tree. We're, we can beckon him and we can love him unconditionally, but we're not going to come down to to a level where we criticize the church because of things the church may say or, or things like that, if you know what I mean. So um, he, he, knows, he knows the foundation that we have and what we believe and where we stand. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think what I wanted to highlight from what you shared, because um, sometimes the question we ask people is, how did you overcome or make it through that trial? And some of the things I heard you saying, I mean, an overarching thing theme was love for mm. your son just unconditional love and really feeling um eternal christ-like love for him and seeing him and his divine worth and that he you know existed before this life and mm-hmm. that heavenly father knows him and that's so powerful and then um guile when you were talking about um, being in the hotel room and having just heard about the new policy that was so hard to swallow and what I heard from you was just really going to the source like going to those talks by Elder Christofferson or going to you know praying and reading your scriptures and just really trying to tune in um, and I think we live in a world where that's really hard to do because there's so so many voices like there's so, so much noise and it gets very overwhelming. And so I really appreciate that example that you shared. Thank you. Yeah, I respect that as well because I could go for a lot of things with the churches. It's like very, very easy for people to have a knee-jerk reaction to things in the church. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. You don't know what's going into this decision. Like you're you're looking at it on one side. And that's a perfect example because there was a lot that they were trying to consider with, with the kids, with mm-hmm. family members, just like the way that that was going to be a very very difficult decision and it's not easy no but it goes back to it goes back to that tradition again that how many times have grandparents baptized grandchildren just simply because they're eight years old now and their time and they've you know they they've passed the question so let's baptize them but then no account for what happens to that child then growing up in a home where their parents you know, they, there's there's just such a conflict for a child to have to face there, and I think that when you when you look at it that way, it's the tradition that we had to come to terms with. It wasn't really the doctrine. Yeah, it's not right. the doctrine. It was the tradition, yeah. and I think in our church, unfortunately, so many people live the church through tradition, yeah. not really anchored in the testimony of the doctrine itself. There's a lot of times in church history in my lifetime, and I won't elaborate on any of them, but where things have happened and and people have left the church or questioned the church or whatever, but my mother taught me at a young age, she said, you always follow the prophet, no matter what. You follow the prophet. If you follow the prophet, you're safe, just like the primary song. And, um, and so if you just focus on that and keep that centered in your life, you'll be okay. Because things, things are, and not only have, but probably much more so in the future, things will happen where people will question the doctrine, question question the prophet, question the leaders, and they'll be judgmental, and they'll, whether it's pamphlets they read or what have you, but if you follow the prophet and focus on the simplicity of that, because everything falls down from there, and then you'll be safe and you'll be fine. I appreciate that, because... Um there was that recent conference talk about the pillars of our testimony and our testimony, there are certain things that build the foundation of our testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ, but um, church policies are not the 
foundation of our testimony because those are the it's things a, that's that the, isn't that the business end of it mm -hmm. and and with this many people in part of an organization you have to have some kind of a business administrative. you know it's got yeah. to be it's got to be functional mm -hmm. and so you know what to your point i think that that's where we have to really look at doctrine mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay oh this has been great discussion i so appreciate this um we want to ask you guys well i want to ask this one too was there ever a time in your life when you just really felt like you were fulfilling your mission in life does anything stand out we can prep you for this one <laughs> um i know i i uh there's a story that comes to mind that I have to tell you and not that it's even fulfilling my mission but it, it has been something that has helped my foundation does that make sense um, as a brand new nurse I was hired I work I've always worked at mostly surgery but I was hired as a charge nurse in a um, area of a surge LDS hospital there was 21 operating room suites I was over orthopedics and so I was down on the end where when we finished our surgeries, whatever they might have been, that instead of us just sitting around, we would go help in other areas. And several times I was called down to help in the heart room. And one of the things that I very vividly remember, and I, I tell my kids, and I love this story, is that I would hold human hearts wow. while President Nelson was operating on them. Um, you know, they, the, after they had been hooked up to the, the heart-lung machine, and so the heart was not beating, but he had to get to a certain part of that heart to operate, and so I would, I would always volunteer, I'll do it, and I'd go down and literally hold the heart, rotate it, hold it however he needed so that he could operate on that heart. Um, and at the time, um, of course, knew and admired President Nelson because he was Dr. Nelson, and because of my my love of medicine and fascination with the human body and to watch him take a human heart and work on it and then have that person wake up and yeah. be fine and i remember thinking that um you know that foundation moment that that when you hear president nelson talk about that the scriptures say if you do a b and c this is what's going to happen and he knew that if he did A, B, and C with a human heart, science, this is what's going to happen. And to have his faith in the church or in the doctrine of the church and his faith in medicine and blend those together, mm -hmm. that's always been such a great foundation that I've always walked on. Just that trust that if it can work on that human heart that I was holding, I know that it's going to work with this situation. That's really cool. That was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. That's, anyway, that was a story that came, and I don't know that that was even one of those things, but <laughs> I thought it came up anyway. Yeah. Yeah. As far as a, a mission in life is right now, I, um, you know, it's, being a grandparent is everything they say it is, and that is you get to love without having to deal with all the issues. <laughs> and, um, and I think now and even more so in the future is to focus on our grandchildren to make sure that they are on the covenant path and that they represent the family name and that they do things that are correct and i think a grandparent can have a great influence great influence on their grandchildren um, um i think if you handle them right susie's probably one of the greatest grandmothers i've ever seen and she even though we have kids that live in four different states she spends a fair amount of time every quarter. She goes to spend uh, about a week with each one of the kids, and and um, and I can tell you that our grandchildren absolutely adore her, and because um, she gets down on her hands and knees and she plays with them and she counsels with them and talks to them on their level, and um, that's that's I think what our, one of one of our missions in life is all about is to make sure that uh, our posterity yeah. carries on. When our when our kids were little, one of my favorite scripture stories is when um, when Helaman's naming his sons Lehi and Nephi, and he says, "I give you these names that you might remember them, and that when you remember them, you remember that they were good." And a, a part of our family from day one has always been remember who you are. 
you're you're a walker and what does being a walker mean a walker means you are kind you are considerate you are you know and we we'd go and we talked about that family home evenings and sunday lessons and you know remember who you are so much so that our son tyson has it he has it <laughs> tattooed right here on the inside of his arm remember who you are in my handwriting no less uh, and he, he, by the way he didn't want to tell me he knew i wouldn't talk to him if he if, <laughs> if i knew that he had a tattoo uh-huh. but but then after i saw what it was how do you argue that <laughs> but anyway but but i think that's getting back to that even our grandchildren and it's it's kind of a little family motto now but i always say to the kids okay who loves you most just don't tell your mom who loves you most and it's always nana nana but the the good that has come from that is that our especially our older grandchildren have come to me in times of need and not been afraid to come to me and i think that's something that i've always wanted is for my kids to have not only their parents to turn to but that there was another source that they knew they could turn to that would lead them the right way and i i have strived very hard to make sure that i have that kind of relationship with each of my grandkids as well and they know remember who you are and who loves you most and that's that's kind of our little thing that we go through it in our house Awesome. I love that. I love that mission that you guys are on. That's wonderful. So let's talk about the casserole. So the casserole with the... Let's not skip the... What did they love about the gospel? Yeah, I thought we'd wrap up on that one. Go for it. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so if you look at our ward as a casserole with everybody contributing their own specific flavors and ingredients, what would you guys say are at least one or two things that you feel like you offer or you enjoy doing that contributes to the Ward family? I'm going to right off the bat say I, I really feel strongly about positivity, about always looking at things in a positive light. Um, and we've had many church talks recently about our attitudes and about um, looking at the bright side of things. But I think that I, I have a tendency to, to be positive, to be um, to look at the bright things and to find a positive in every situation. And so, anyway, that's something that I kind of pride myself in is that I always try to find the positive in the situation. That's great. I love that. You do always it have a smile. It is a great to, to thing share. to contribute that we all need. We yeah. do need that, yeah. One thing I'll say about her also is that she seems to be a beacon for a lot of the elderly sisters in the ward too, that they all seem to come to her. And, and, um, and I've, I've always admired that. Um, about her as well but um, I think one thing is something we've even been talking about tonight I think at the age that we're at with the experiences that we've had all over the place in our family by the way our our family's in a very good place right now and our family is very loving with each other and so even though we've talked about a lot of the challenges we've had um, our kids love each our other. Kids, our kids love each other, and they've they've overcome the challenge, those challenges, and and we're in a good place. We love being together. All of us love being That's together, great. and our grandchildren. I, I, I got to tell you, our our granddaughter in Arkansas, all she wanted for Christmas was to have her cousin come to see her, <laughs> and they're about three That's weeks awesome. apart. And so, just because of all my traveling and so on, I I arranged and just used miles, and I'm flying. Well, we helped Santa arrange. Oh yeah, that's right. Help Santa. That's right. And so, Santa, what Santa gave her for her Christmas gift was her cousin to come and see her in April. And so they'll come and spend a week. And she just bawled when she saw that. So that's because it's literally all she wanted. So that's just to indicate how close our, our, not only we are with our our kids, but our, their, their cousins are all very close too, even though they live in different States. But um, I think the one thing that we do bring to our ward is as many others do too, is just experience and experience in raising kids at a variety of, experience in the gospel both good and bad and that we can help guide and direct and counsel and it's like i said a long time ago we don't we're not we're not we don't hide our our youngest son and we don't we don't publish it you know but when we're asked we're happy to and we love to counsel and i don't ever ever want to hear a parent say oh i can't deal with this i told him he could come but he can't bring so and so and so on wrong this hat you have to provide an environment a loving environment for your child to come to no matter what and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be because they're gay. It could be because they've left the church for other reasons. It could be a myriad of things that yeah. they've done. But you always have to have a haven of peace for your child to come to, and to love them unconditionally. And um, and that's something we we really um, try to teach. And so I love that. Thanks. Well, and I feel like that's the 
awesome thing about doing a podcast like this. I hope people in our world will listen to it because I think, you know, I've learned a lot just from the experience that you've shared in this hour. We haven't had that much time together. But, um, okay, final question is, what is one thing that you love about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hmm. <laughs> where, do, where do you even begin with a question like that? But the one thing that I love about this gospel is that I have a relationship with my brother Jesus Christ and that I know, I know that he loves me. And um, I think no matter what comes my way, be still and know that I am God. And in all the trials and all the, the different situations I've been in, when I'm still, and I'm listening, I know that I'm loved. You know, I, um, I travel a lot. I have a lot of clients around the country. And I don't hesitate talking about the church. And um, I don't necessarily look at it as missionary work. But, you know, it's interesting. I've, I never get criticized for it. I've never teased about it. I've never persecuted about it. All I ever see is admiration and respect. And um, that's one thing I love about the gospel is that uh, we live in a society now where the church really is a respected organization and it's looked up to because of its strength of position, of its strength of family. Um, uh, probably the most hurtful thing I ever had was a friend of mine that was Lutheran that said um, he loved me but he didn't believe I was a Christian because I didn't follow the Lutheran belief in what the definition of Christ was, and that really hurt me. Well, that same person a year later came back and deeply apologized and said, yes, you're absolutely a Christian. And, um, but the thing I love about the gospel is just the knowledge that we have of the restoration. And um, I've been really blessed. I've been to every major church historical site in the country, and I've followed that path um, and been to some of them many times. And to see the foundation of this gospel and to see what the prophet Joseph did and to see how this church easily could have fallen apart many times, but it was through the direction of the, of the Savior that uh, it is what it is now, and, and how grateful I am uh, that I was blessed enough to be a part of it. Thank you, well, thank you so much. It's been a really awesome time talking to you both, learning from you, and I just think you have so much goodness and wisdom to share. So thanks so much for making time to do this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you.